And we are back, riding right alongside Dr. Ellen Wall. Dr. Wald, how are you doing today? Things are pretty good. Can't complain. You know, it was 46 degrees here in Texas yesterday. Oh, yep. yeah, it's cold. It's very cold. We got up and we're leaving the house to go to church and they're like, oh, we got to put on jackets for the kids. It's, it's, it's that kind of weather in wow. end of April, April, end of May, end of April, almost May. So it was a, uh, it's a shocker. Yes, it was a shocker. Um, so back to normal, normally scheduled weather today, but, um, did enjoy but did you think that there was some kind of climate apocalypse coming or were you like, huh, this is just an interesting variation in the temperature? We decided to venture out. We weren't afraid of, um, you know, getting snowed in our car or, you know, um, you know, volcanoes erupting or, um, planes falling out of the sky or anything like that. So we, we decided to venture out and made it back safely. So there you go. We we took the, yeah, it's probably just an odd day in Texas more than anything else. So, um, (laughs) I know that makes us weird. Hey. So, okay. Um, let's see here. (laughs) You know what I just did? No, I didn't do it. I thought I closed it all the articles. There, there, <laughs> they are. I was like, oh no. Okay. <clears throat> Biden admin preparing major crackdown on power plants that fuel nation's grid. Uh, okay. This this sounds like a terrible idea, but I'm sure it's not, right? Oh yeah, of course not. Um, yeah, this I think is possibly like the biggest news that no one is paying attention to right now. I mean, it's it's basically like, do you remember the Obama coal power plant thing where they were like, they they wanted, they basically like regulated coal plants out of existence and everyone mm-hmm. switched to natural gas. It was fine. I mean, it wasn't fine, but there was natural gas. And so it just kind of accelerated that transition. Eventually though, if we recall in June of 2022, okay, the Supreme Court ruled that that power plant rule that Obama era rule that was limiting plant emissions, power plant emissions under the Clean Air Act was unconstitutional because Congress never granted the EPA the explicit power to issue such regulations. So, but it took so long to get that. And everyone basically like assumed that it was going to be real anyway, that all these coal plants either um, closed down or transitioned to natural gas, which at the time was very plentiful and cheap and you know, you know, not as, as emission causing anyway. And that really like fueled this huge drop in emissions from the US, which is great, except that now we're really, really dependent on natural gas availability and prices for our electricity generation um, in a lot of places. Um, so this new thing basically apparently contained in the inflation, whatever you want to call it, act, Congress gave the EPA the right to regulate emissions under the Clean Air Act or whatever. Congress did it not under the Clean Air Act, under the whatever it is, Inflation Reduction Act or whatever. They somehow did this. I have to look into it more carefully to to get everything straight. But now, so it could still be ruled unconstitutional by the Supreme Court, but that will take a really long time. And if they issue this, regulation okay it's going to apply not just to coal plants but to all fossil fuel plants including natural gas plants so it would require them 
They think that this rule will require these plants to cut or capture the vast majority of their carbon dioxide emissions by 2040. Apparently the New York Times reported on this, citing officials briefed on a draft of the plan. And um, let's see, it doesn't like give the specifics, but it says that they wanna limit greenhouse gas emissions from exist existing fossil fuel fired plants in spring 2023. And then they wanna give the final rule in the summer of 2024. Um, and it's the first time that they would actually issue regulation for existing plants, apparently. And it would make either fossil fuel plants would have to shut down or they'd have to install sorts of like carbon capture stuff that we know isn't economical and doesn't really work. So it seems like this rule, if it is actually issued and people try to comply with it, could just lead to the shutdown of fossil fuel plants in the United States, which would be catastrophic for anyone who wants to have electricity. So yes, no. You, well, you, <laughs> am I am I am I overstating it? Am I am I being too uh, you know, what am I catastrophizing? <laughs> Is that the term? You're an alarmist. Um yeah. okay, so you said this goes into 2024, right? Well, I think they're gonna issue the final, they wanna like issue they were going to like issue the rule in the spring of 2023 and it will go and, and finalize it in 2024 because like you have to have a comment period and all that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so either my question is either is this the kind of thing that like oh they'll issue it but like if a new administration comes in they'll just say ignore it or get rid of it because mm -hmm. it's all done through regulation not legislation yeah i mean or, i think I think yeah. if you're if you're on the industry side, you want to push this to happen as quickly as possible, because the worst thing I think from the 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 plant side, if you will, is for this to go past the spring of 2024 into late fall winterish 2024 when it's election season, right? This should be an issue that voters should consider voting on, and so not having this. You know, having this wrapped up sooner rather than later, even if it goes against you, to your point, you might get a different Congress, you might get a different president um, and to kind of repeal this. Whereas if it's not something that, that's in the voters' mind and they go past 2024, it goes into late 2024 when it gets rolled out and it's not a top of mind issue, um, then it, you know, you might have similar results in elections. Because as you were talking, I was thinking, well, why would they do this right now I mean, a presidency's put take out the current people running. Presidencies are won and lost on, on economies, right? Oh yeah. And so, if this is going to drive up prices, then why would you do? Why would you ever want this going out before the election? It would seem that you'd almost want to wait until after the election. That way, if it if it fall if you lose, someone could repeal it, and if you win, it's already done. I, I honestly, I really don't get it. Okay, it says, okay, so this says that there are 303, sorry, 3,393 fossil fuel fired plants nationwide, the majority of which are natural gas plants, because the Obama rule, which was ruled unconstitutional, ended up getting rid of a lot of coal plants anyway, um, although not all of them, and there are some regions that are definitely powered largely on coal, and, um, but it was also like that... I don't think it would have happened so easily had there not been a huge boom in natural gas, which was available and, and cheap. 
Um, because these plants generate more than 60% of the nation's electricity compared to the roughly 14% of electricity generated by wind and solar projects. And I'm going to guess that the rest of it is generated by nuclear and hydro. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, like, what, what, what do they think is going to, to do? Like, it's, it, it, I'm kind of just, just like insane. Like it, it says that they, I don't even know. They think it's going to basically like make these plants have to shut down. I mean, yeah, this says that, um, you know, th this person for the president and CEO of America's power, which is a coal power trade group says that, you know, these, that they're going to have electricity shortages if they do this. Um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, there's not a whole lot of information in this it is a Fox news article, which is like not, the greatest, um, you know, in terms of like depth of, of the, the <laughs> writing and stuff here. Um, but yeah, it just says that they are, I mean, it just says that it is expected to require coal and natural gas power plants to cut or capture the vast majority of their carbon dioxide emissions. I mean, it just seems like this is going to be so extensive that that we're not going to be able to generate electricity or they're just going to make them pay for carbon credits. I, I'd really be interested when they issue this rule to see like what the comment period is and yeah. if they're even going to care. And then you're right. Like, why do it now? Are they trying to make it sound like they actually did something? Cause they do say here that Biden has pledged to enable the nation to achieve an up to 52% total emission reduction by 2030 and create a carbon pollution-free power sector by 2035. That that also could be it. It could be something passed that they know will never get implemented, and he can he can just say, claim, "Oh, we got I, I, this." We, yeah, we we did it. We did it. We tried. Yeah, the Republicans or whoever, or I don't know who it would be in this case, but whoever blocked us. And so, if you elect us again, you know, we'll come back with better, more yeah. support. And so, maybe 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 that. Maybe it's not. Except they can't get blocked. It's a regulation. They can issue whatever they want. They already passed the law. They passed the, I mean, unless the Supreme Court strikes it down, but they already passed the, they passed the Inflation Reduction Act. Mm. I don't understand why they don't just run on that and they are looking to run. I, I mean, I think this is just like the EPA wants to do this. And like, there's this idea that somehow the clean power sector is going to like, explode if you could just if you just take out the fossil fuel power then you know that'll make way for like wind and solar without acknowledging that like it just doesn't they're, they're, they you cannot take a hydrocarbon and trade it for a energy generated using like a solar panel plus um there's there's not gonna be a carbon pollution free power sector do you know how many carbon emissions are generated by installing so-called renewable energy installations, like a yes. lot. Yeah, gonna, it's I'm not carbon-free. <laughs> okay, let's go on to China. China's EV love affair spills doom for gasoline. The internal combustion engine is on the way out in China, and that's not great for for oil bulls. Oil bull. I don't, I, see, I say oil. <laughs> My kids get made fun of it at school because I'm a redneck. I say oil. And a lot of people say that oil. <laughs> Um, but oh, hey, you oh, say bulls. what you want. Oh, yeah. Bulls. yeah. yeah I'm, I'm a redneck. I, I got a, I, I am what I am. Okay. EVs are taking think? over the world. The oil bulls are in trouble. Yeah. Oil prices are going to fall. It's over. Because All the fight. Is that what we're saying? Like futuristic roadsters with hologram wheels. That is definitely going to unseat the Ford F 150 
Mm-hmm. Right? Right? Well, I'm, okay. Can, it's like anything else. It's, I mean, China can't handle baseload sometimes. I mean, okay, they can't handle it sometimes, but then sometimes they turn it off. There's, are they going to maintain baseload with all these EVs? I mean, I, here's a true story. This is a true story. I, mean, I went to China, listeners might remember, in 2019. Yeah, 2019. And I went to a city that had, I think, I, I can look it up real quick. Uh, I think it has like a population of a million people. Mm-hmm. Um, and most people that I've spoken to, it's not like it's a ton, but I talk to people in China that, that are you know, Chinese nationals live here. And most of them do not know where the city is. And it had a million people in it. Now stop and think about us not knowing about a city in the U.S. has many people. China's a big friggin' place. I mean, it's a big, it's a big place. And I think we kind of over, we kind of simplify how easy some of this stuff might be. If you've got a country that has a population so large that a, a city of a million people is not even worth registering, I mean, they're going to have all kinds of transportation issues that we don't have. A, but then B. When you talk about you know maintaining base load capacity, that has to be a serious consideration when you talk about electrifying the grid like this. Yeah, I think honestly, my guess is, I mean, if I mean, you got to take everything with a grain of salt. This guy went to China. He saw a potential fancy uh, a car show. Mm. Halls in massive showrooms of the Shanghai Auto Show this week, and he saw a lot of very shiny looking EVs. A lot of them from Chinese manufacturers. And an SUV that claims it can go uh, 620 miles on a single charge. Now, we all know that when you make those claims, that's not how they perform in reality, right? Okay. But apparently, he was so taken that he now thinks that the um, internal combustion engine is, he says at the end of this, he says, to be sure, he says, with global demand on a precarious edge this year, it won't help that oil's killer app the internal combustion engine is on its way out in China. Is the internal combustion engine really on its way out in China? My honest to God guess is that China likes to promote EVs simply because through controlling the electricity supply, they can control people's transportation, right? So you're talking about like, can they maintain baseload? Do they really want to maintain baseload? Wouldn't they rather control when the population, when certain segments of the population get to charge their EVs? So you can charge your EV on Wednesday and you get to charge yours on Saturday. And I mean, that's a great way to control people. Whereas gasoline, you know, you can move it around. Nobody, you know, you can't, once you put it in your car, your car can go anywhere. But if you can, I mean, I guess you can control people by only letting them buy gasoline on certain days, but I don't think it's as easy. You could just decide to like turn off the charge to someone's EV. Like you can turn it off and then you can control their mobility. Okay. So I, I did look it up. It's the, the, the city I went to, I went to several cities, but this one city has a population of 1.18 million people. And I've not met anyone who knows where this city's at. And again, not, I mean, it's not that you have to know of all the cities, but a city of 1.18 million people is a tremendously large city. It's huge. It's yeah. huge. And it's in the, the problem is, is the district it's in, the, the larger area has a population of almost 14 million people. 
And so there, there's there's just a, an enormous amount of people in China. And it kind of seems obvious to say that, but it's really not obvious. We, we, we can't think in the terms of a population, what, three, four X ours? And then their GDP is a fraction of ours. And then if you really look at how many people are out in the rural area, EVs wouldn't work for them anyways. And that population is larger than ours. And so, you know, you start to start saying, well, okay, well, what are we talking about here? I don't know. Maybe this Bloomberg reporter's got it figured all out, but I suspect he doesn't or she doesn't. I don't know who wrote the article. Um, because, yeah, I mean, there's hundreds, there's, there's, there's a population, I think, larger than the U.S. that lives in the rural parts of China. Yeah. That they can't use EVs. They wouldn't be practical. Yeah. And so, you talk about those Here's people? Here's an- uh, yeah, don't they? Are they going to buy? Yeah, it's insane. But here's another question, okay? Um, if you watch the Super Bowl ads, if your exposure to the American auto industry was just by watching the ads for cars at the Super Bowl, you would think the same thing. You would think that, you know, the internal combustion engine is on its way out. Gasoline demand is going to plummet in the US and EVs are, are you know, everyone's buying an EV. Because every single car commercial was all about, you know, right. this and that electric vehicle. Mm-hmm. Well, there's no doubt that EVs are going to control some market share, but this 100% or nine, and just to be clear, I went to China, like I said, 2019, and I saw some of these dog and pony shows, you know, I, mean, mm-hmm. I saw, I saw the, the, um, the self-driving, 18 wheeler and all that kind of stuff that they have over there. So, you know, it's, it's, you can go see whatever you want. Seeing it on a screen does not mean it works in the real world. And we should have real world, real practical example. I don't have a Tesla. I'm not opposed to Tesla, but I would be quite concerned about having the Tesla drive me around town. Mm-hmm. Would you want the Tesla to drive you around town? Definitely not. And I wouldn't want to be walking around town where other people are having their Teslas drive them. Yeah, it seems like we're a little bit early for, for that kind of technology to be considered here, yeah. ready to roll. And so I could have come back from China and said, hey, they've got you know, SUVs, uh, not SUVs, they've got uh, 18-wheelers that are ready to be self-automated. They're going to revolution, and, and maybe they will at some point, but let's let's see it actually work at scale for a period of time. You know what China should build? What's that? They should build roads that are automated as opposed to the cars. So like, say you want to drive your 18 wheeler from like, I don't know, whatever city to whatever city and it's highways. How about if you like, you make a highway that moves the truck like hooks on and then the driver doesn't have to do anything and they get there and then they can drive their truck into wherever it has to go. If you're going to be building something, wouldn't that be like, like, wouldn't that be better? I don't know. It's kind of like converts your truck to a train, basically. Like your truck can like go onto the train tracks and be pulled along. Interesting. It would it would just seem that like if I was starting from a clean slate infrastructure, that's probably what I would do. But I'm a little bit upset with these like reporters being taken by things. It's like um, there's this guy in Florida, what's his name, David Rebioy or something, and he went to. Saudi Arabia, he was like totally taken with everything they showed him. It's like, this is what they want you to see. This is what they want you to think. Like, you know, have a little bit of critical eye, have a little critical eye at least. 
we can talk offline about that. I don't want to discourage <laughs> people, but we got, okay. I, have, I have comments on that. We could talk offline. Uh, okay. Well, anyway. um, okay. Let's go to our next piece here. Um, oil buying slows amid renewed concerns about economy. Oh, wow. It's crazy. It's crazy. Hey, yeah. I, I, listen, I don't want to sound like an OPEC defender or that I'm an <laughs> OPEC or any of that stuff. That's not it at all. There is a weird U.S. bias against whatever they do. Like yep. It's almost like, you know, we never take what they do seriously. And it's not to say that they're always right. They've been wrong multiple times. But it's it's so weird that last year, how they were responding to the market, people weren't taking that into consideration. And nope. so, you know, listen, I think they were wrong when, when the, when that's not what OPEC per se, but when the Russians and the Saudis got in the big price war and, Mm-hmm. I suspect they both wish they hadn't done that. I could be wrong. Yeah. They, they wish that they were wrong. Uh, so I'm not saying that they've always got it out right. They probably over uh, underestimated the, the show, re- the, the show revolution. So they've been wrong. It's not to say they can't. Yeah. But it is weird that. They're not always it, wrong. They're not always wrong. That's right. They're not always wrong. And the, the, it's almost like the, the analysts in the U S don't give, don't have a way to wait out what the, what they're doing they look at these numbers because the EIA released the storage number or whatever. And they, they look at that mm-hmm. more than they do this other stuff. Yeah, exactly. And I do think the storage numbers are interesting because if you take out um, the SPR from the U.S., the storage numbers are, are slightly up. And I wonder if that's really what, um, you know, what's kind of being looked at by OPEC too. If, if you kind of extrapolate that globally, if storage is rising, that that could be an indication that, you know, I mean, it doesn't seem like there's overproduction like there was, you know, but it could be an indication that there's some questions in terms of demand. And, you know, maybe OPEC is not wrong about this. They weren't wrong back in October. And, um, you know, it's just interesting that, um, you know, that it says that they're, they, that fund managers are remaining more cautious on refined products owing to un- continued uncertainty about the outlook for the global economy and petroleum consumption. And if you look, I didn't include this in the articles, but maybe I should have at, I think the Dallas Fed released like a Texas manufacturing report or outlook or something. And it does seem like manufacturing is slowing. Um, And so, you know, it's just like, I, I don't know. I think that, that there's definitely a lot of uncertainty because people still think that like Chinese demand has the potential to really, you know, kind of come back. I mean, there's people looking at like trying to analyze um, Chinese, you know, flight data to get an interest, you know, to understand like when is their oil, you know, demand going to suddenly surge. I'm not sure that that's like the most important thing to be looking at for China. Mm. Um, Like, I think I would look at China's industrial production um, more than their consumer activity. But um, I mean, it says distillates are reflecting concerns about a slowdown in industrial cycles. Um, you know, it's, it's, I think we don't know, but I wouldn't bet on there not being one. Well, okay. So right now, WTI is at 78.84 and Brent's at 82.74. And was it two weeks ago, OPEC shocked the world with that cut, right? Yeah. And we're not at like 100. Yeah. I mean, again, I'm not saying something can't happen in um, you know two months. It changes things radically, but it's really weird that 
the the oil prices can't. I was talking talking to someone the other day about this, and uh, this was a guy in Texas working, and I was just getting his opinion, and you know, you know, they're they're staying busy, but they've also heard a few groups that are saying, yeah, we're not not going to move forward on some projects, and we're just kind of go back and forth. If I kind of given you this these data points, just the headlines and just the stuff, you would think, man, the narrative is that the U.S. frackers and they they can't produce enough anymore. China's economy is going to come back roaring. We've got a war going on with Russia, supply chain shortages, all, all these logistical problems we've had for two years, and yet we can't can't get these crazy high oil prices to stay up. It's it's almost like the demand's not there. It's almost like the demand's not there. Uh, I'm not saying it's not there, but it, it feels like it's not there, and it's not reflecting the price. Yeah, it's not. It's 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 a weird time. I feel like it's a very weird time in the oil market right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, how mm-hmm. much more can OPEC cut? I think OPEC was also expecting the U.S. to make big the U.S. to make big SPR purchases, mm-hmm. and when they basically said we're not doing that, then they felt like they had to react on the supply side. Mm. but um maybe so but yeah i mean is opec going to do another another cut to get production to get prices up to the 90s i mean i don't know Mm. okay well speaking of the permian exxon mobile is gonna buy out pioneer is that what they're saying are they i this article is a little old but I wanted to talk about it in conjunction with the next one because for a little while, there's all this news about how like Exxon has all this money and they want to buy something. They want to buy a company. Mm. So people were saying like, Oh, pioneer. Well, I don't know. What do we think? What should, what do we think Exxon is or should buy? That was kind of my question. If you were Exxon, what would you buy? Buy this podcast. We won't charge them 49 billion. We'll give them a little, we'll give them a, a good deal. Uh, I think yeah. 50 to 100 million. We'll give it to them for that. Um, and then with the leftover, yeah, yeah. Hmm, Pioneer. I, what I, do you I think? Pioneer like, natural I like, resources. I don't like Pioneer. We got a little bad blood there, so uh, yeah. I, I thought you might have something to say about that. A little bit biased against the Pioneer. Um, not my favorite. Not my favorite company. Not. They're probably fine. I'm just, just, yeah. A little bad blood there. Um, hmm. I guess it depends on, you know, I do think, all kidding aside, Pioneer probably is one of the more advanced companies. So if you're going to buy someone who's been out there trying to figure it out, Pioneer has made a pretty strong commitment to understanding the Permian. And so they probably have a good acreage. They probably have a lot of technology on, you know, how to drill parent child weld issues. They probably got a ton of information on all that. Now last year, Pioneer had some issue with uh, oil to gas ratio. And mm-hmm. they, they predicted this year that they were going to fix that. And so if they've got that under control, there's that. And the other thing is, I would suspect, I could be wrong here, I suspect someone like Exxon is better at managing that oil gas discrepancy because of how their entire, you know, they're a huge super major who can do all kinds of crazy stuff, whereas Pioneer's more of a, not a small fry, that's not the right way to say it, but they're, they're a small company, right? And so um, the markets, get ExxonMobil probably has a better ability mm-hmm. to get uh, maybe a blended drill um, to market better than Pioneer. Maybe not. I don't know. Just a thought. So what do you think? That's interesting. Yeah. I, you know, it's interesting because um, 
I mean, Exxon did in 2010 buy what was it, XTO Energy. Um, so what was the la- other big last acquisition? Was that Occidental? Oxymol- Didn't they buy uh, Anadarko? Yeah. And it was like a big, if they did it like right before things fell, they could have gotten a much better mm-hmm. deal, I think. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, it's it's interesting. So like, if Exxon wants to show growth, I mean, I mean, like, what do you do with all that money? You buy a company. I mean, it makes sense. I just wonder, like, is Pioneer really, first of all, for a purchase that big, would you need approval by the FTC? I don't know. Mm. Um, the, the thing to and, and here, is Pioneer only in the Permian? That was my other question. They were trying. I don't know if they've ever made that move. At one time, I'm pretty sure they announced that they were going to be a Permian only company, but I don't know if they've ever if they were successful in divesting all of their um, their other. Well, Pioneer bought yeah. Parsley. Hmm, I didn't remember that. So 2021. Okay. The, the other thing to let's see your operations. They think that yeah. that per, that. Pioneer has the best. What to say? The, the some of the best assets in the Permian. So right. So you ha- yeah, I think they're. I think they have divested only to the Permian. But anyways, um, so there's a couple things. One, if you're Exxon, I guess there's a question of, is this the only acquisition you're willing to do? Mm. So if you're going to do two or three acquisitions, and maybe the other ones are going to be smaller, having Pioneer and access to all of their drilling technology and how they understand the the, the geology and all that stuff. That's probably worth a significant. You can't just get that. I mean, I just over last year for hard energy and companies like Pioneer and, and you know other producers would only hire people for some for certain jobs if they had worked in that geographic for uh, the geological formation. Ah, that's they interesting. want that expertise. And so yeah, Pioneer probably has is gonna be one of the top companies that would have that expertise. So if you buy them, theoretically you could go pick up other assets because you could leverage their expertise mm. to get other companies. I don't know that that's, that's interesting. That's, but, that's very interesting. I mean, yeah. I mean, or are there any other like companies you think Exxon might be, might buy if they're on the hunt for buying something like better deals or so. I don't know. I mean, Pioneer is just like, that's like one of the biggest ones mm-hmm. and their CEO is so outspoken. It just seems like maybe, I don't know. Maybe I don't know. like, if you're excellent, yeah. do you really want to buy that? Maybe you want to buy something a little less notoriety, like with less notoriety. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is it is interesting, I think. And I do think though it shows a commitment that Exxon does think that like we're gonna be producing in the US for a while because, or at least in Texas. Maybe that's why they want Pioneer. Pioneer is just in the Permian. Maybe they think that's the only region that really shows promise. Um, well, but anyway, Permian, I would say the Permian you get you, you get a ton of oil, but you also get a ton of gas. And that kind of you know, that's a good point. It's not it's not like if you go to the Appalachian or yeah. you know the Balkan yeah. or something, you, you're a little bit more. You and you get, also get all that pipeline. I mean, there's so yeah, many. There, you, you don't have to worry about pipeline access. So, yeah, and that's yeah. a good point. Regulatory compliance. So, like, it's so easy. It's basically like they're they're buying the easiest thing they can to just expand their business. Yeah, absolutely. So now, if you're pioneer, do you sell to Exxon? Do you want to sell to Exxon? Oh, see, I would think if you are one of these guys right now, and this is just you know, this is me maybe being a little bit too too biased in this direction. If I was Pioneer, I would sell in a heartbeat to Exxon if I got a good number. Yeah. I mean, what you know, you don't know at what point the regulatory burden is going to be crazy. What if, you know, and here's the other thing, 
what if we have another major recession and prices go down to 40? Yeah. Your, sell now. <laughs> sell now. Well, I mean, you'd have to be, for, for me to be the CEO of one of these companies, first off, you'd have to have crazy shareholders, but you'd have to have like a crazy amount of confidence the next five, what, 10 years that you're not going to go back into, you know, prices that are going to be tough. If the Biden administration gets a second term, is lending going to get easier for you? Probably not. You know, pressure on your stock is going to be there. So, yeah, if Exxon wants to buy, then why not? I would say absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the next article is also about Exxon. I guess it's a little bit like insidery than we usually get, but I just thought it was interesting because uh, earnings reports are going to be released soon, and they're saying that they're reporting that. ExxonMobil insiders, so I guess like people who are ditched their stock over the past year. They're saying a lot of them sold stock. Now, do you think they're ditching it because they're thinking that there might be something wrong, that oil prices are going to go down and so the company's going to, you know, not be worth as much or like they're just trying to sell stock at the height of what they think is the height? Mm. A a question, or do they think something really bad is going to come out soon? What was the name of that group that took over like a board seat fire engine station? something yeah. engine number one number or something. one yeah uh, maybe they thought they're gonna run to the ground <laughs> but they only have one seat yeah well it only starts with one that's <laughs> a good point it starts it starts it with one. one uh yeah I don't know I don't know it, it'd be weird though if they so so these are high ranking Exxon People. I don't know. It just says Exxon Mobil Insiders. I don't it, know. This it, is... it, it lists here the... Um... They just say, over the last two months, we've seen significant insider selling at Exxon Mobil, specifically insider Darren Talley. I don't know who the, he is. He sold $289,000 worth of shares. So the VP, Principal Accounting Officer and Controller, Leonard Fox, sold $1.3 million hmm. at 105 a share. And the current price is at 116. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, how old mm-hmm. is Leonard Fox? I don't know. Is he? Yeah, is he one of the 67? Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. He's don't probably know. old, given like the company. Right. Know, let's see. Yeah, to be that high. I'm up. looking him up. Let's see a picture of him. Let's see. Oh, no. Leonard, is... People are going to be calling him saying, man, they're talking to the podcast. Mm. Uh, he's, only, uh, he's only made two trades in ExxonMobil stock. Uh, how old is he? 57. 57. According to this Still website. Well, what do you think? Yeah, I don't Inside know. Insider, yeah. Um, hmm. Yeah. The most recent here, yeah, the most here, this tracks it says on average, ExxonMobil executives and independent directors trade stock every 12 days. The most recent stock trade was by Darren Talley. Let's see who is this guy. He is, I don't care what his net worth is. I just want to know who he is. Wow, this is address. <laughs> this is a little creepy. Let's do a all- podcast. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I don't know, but you can look at his complete history of all his stock trades. Here are all of the Exxon Mobil executives. I'm sorry, there's a lot of men. Here's one woman, two women, three women, four maybe. Wow, I don't know. 
he might be like just on the board. There are a lot of people on the board. Mm. Anyway, I don't know. Maybe it's like, well, who knows? Maybe they want to like buy a house or something. Here's, or okay, maybe here's... they think that oil prices are going down and they want to like cash out now. Uh, who knows? So it's clear, this is from the article. So it's clear an insider wants to take some cash off the table, even below the current price of 116. When an insider sells below the current price, it suggests they consider that lower price to be fair. That makes us wonder what they think of the higher price recent valuation. It's like, well, no, okay, no, you don't know why they sold it. They could have a drug habit and they needed cash. Like you, you don't. Yeah. To, they they said it's fair. Doesn't mean I mean they sold it for that, of course, but that doesn't you, 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 to get into motivation is. Yeah. You know, it, it, so who knows? Oh, I'm, this guy is the vice president. Is a vice president, by the way. Of yeah. Exxon Mobil. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I guess what I'm trying to say is that, that, that whoever wrote this article says, well, yeah. they think that the that the price they sold at's fair versus the price that it's currently at. And it's like, well, in the mm. sense that they accepted the transaction, yes, but that doesn't yes. they weren't desperately in a buying <laughs> for cash and yeah, the money and that that you know they didn't think it was fair, but they had to have the money, so they yeah, sell it to pay off a debt. You know, who who knows why they yeah. accepted yeah. that price? So yeah. Yeah, that's where it becomes problematic. Yeah, that's a good point. You're, it doesn't necessarily tell you anything about where they think the company's going or what the stock prices are going to be, mm-hmm. or yeah. Yeah, the, but the, uh, I wonder if the other thing is true too is that if you're, if you're saying, well, they're going to sell it at 106, they're going to take out, um, you know, the cash and you know get 1.3 million. Um, but they don't think the company's going to tank. But the next 12 months, they think it might go below that 108 mark. Mm-hmm. Down to 90 for whatever reason they buy a bunch of shares at 90 but then they think five years from now it's gonna be back at you know 150 then that that could also be it could be it could be a play like that it could be they leave the company i don't know and to me it's who knows who knows yeah so, yeah know. it's a it's a good point yeah trying to figure out what why is is difficult i mean i would say like if it was a lot of people all at once selling then it mm-hmm. would be something really to to take note of Yep. If you are in the trading business or sell trading advice, then you have to have a reason for everything. So yeah, that's true. Okay. Anyway, well, where will you be this week? I will be on investing.com. And that is all of my public appearances so far. Okay. I will be on inside the war room as always. And with that, we will talk to everyone next week. See you later. <laughs>